choir and orchestra. A.W. Tozer wrote a book titled, Rut, Rot, or Revival? And he asked the question, what is the greatest threat to the church today? I suppose we all would have different ideas as to what that threat would be. Some would say that it is worship wars. There are many churches that have been split because they can't agree concerning the type of music that they play in the church, and so that divides the church. Some might say that the greatest threat to the church today is the corruption of doctrine. There are many churches that no longer believe the Bible to be the Word of God, and so doctrine then has been compromised and corrupted. There are others who might say, well, the greatest threat to the church is the intrusion of the government into the church's business. I think that all of these things are obviously threats to the church, and certainly there are more, but Tozier had a, an interesting idea as to what the greatest threat to the church is. And he said that it was routine. Tozier wrote, the treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine. In other words, he is saying that the greatest threat to the church is that we become predictable, we become so routine that we no longer hear the Lord. First church I pastored, I noticed in the music segment that at certain times the people would just stand. Now the minister of music didn't have to say anything, he didn't have to guide them, they just knew where to stand and so they would stand. And I said to him that everything has become rote, there is no consideration, there is no thinking, the people are just doing what they have always done, everything has become predictable to them. Tozer said the routine dictates and we can tell not only what will happen next Sunday, but what will occur next month. And if things do not improve, what will take place next year? Then we have reached the place where what has been determines what is, and what is determines what will be. So he said the greatest threat to the church today is routine, that we just become so routine, so rote, so predictable that we're no longer listening to the Lord. We sing about the Holy Spirit, but we are not aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he says then our routine leads us to rut, which Tozer defines as bondage to the routine. So he says we get in the routine and that leads us to a rut and I'm reminded of Dr. Joe Ingram who was the executive director of the Oklahoma Baptist Convention and he used to say that a rut is nothing but a grave with the ends kicked out. We go from routine to rut and then he says we begin to rot. Tozier said this is best explained when the psychology of non-expectation takes over and spiritual rigidity sets in, which is an inability to visualize anything better, a lack of desire for improvement. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture 
The Hebrews had been released from Egyptian bondage. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had come to Mount Sinai, but what will they do now? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. And it came about in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edri, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Now, we begin with a divine observation here in verse number 6. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, another name for Mount Sinai, saying, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Folks, sometimes we stay too long where we are. Why is that? Sometimes we stay too long where we are. The reason we do so is that we become comfortable where we are. And that certainly was true with the Israelites. You see over in chapter 2, verse number 2, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough. So we become comfortable and we just stay where we are going in a circle rather than going anywhere. God said you have circled this mountain long enough. We stay where we are because we become comfortable where we are. We see the same thing in Amos chapter 6. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls. Would you not say that there is the temptation to stay where we are not to move forward because we become comfortable at ease where we are. We become victims of comfort and predictability. One of my favorite stories was told by Zig Ziglar, a friend of mine. He said that he noticed one day that when his wife was cooking a ham, that she would cut off the shank and cook it in a separate pan. He said, I became curious as to why she did that, and so he asked her, honey, why do you cut off the shank and cook it in a separate pan? She said, well, my mother always cooked it that way. 
So he was curious, and so he went to mother and said, Mom, why do you cut the shank off the ham and cook it in a separate pan? She said, well, because my mama cooked it that way. So he said that he went to Granny and said, Granny, why do you cut the shank off the ham and cook it in a separate pan? And she said, because my roaster's too small. There are a lot of things we do because at one time they made sense, there was a reason, but we just continue to do it because it has become a tradition to us. We become comfortable with it. New pastor went to a church, he was a young man, and as he stood before the church, it was an older church, he stood before the church and he said, I am going to take this church into the 20th century. After he said that, there was a man came up to him after the service and said, Pastor, you misspoke. He said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to take, the, you said you were going to take this church into the 20th century. He said, but this is the 21st century. He said, yes, but we're going to do it one century at a time. Sometimes we stay where we are because we're comfortable there and we stay too long. But you notice in that verse, he didn't say that you've been there too long. He said you've been there long enough. So I don't think that this is a negative statement. I, I, I don't think that this is a criticism. What God is saying to them is that you have been here long enough because now then I have prepared you to go forward. You see, the Lord had humbled them during this time. You, you recall that while they are there, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and because he was gone longer than the people expected him to be gone, they went to Aaron and said, make a, make a God for us, and so he made the golden calf. And uh, they worshiped the, uh, the golden calf, so the Bible says, According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you shall know my opposition. So they had come to the end of the 40 years. They had come to the end of the 40 years that was there, and God had humbled them during this time. So there is this 40 years where the Lord is working in them, humbling them, and now he says, you have been here long enough. Now then they are prepared to go forward. You have been here long enough. Now then it is time to go forward. So the Lord then gave them a new direction in verse number 7. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country, the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, the lowland, and so forth. So the Lord is saying to them, it is time for you now to move forward. You've been here long enough. It is time for you to now move forward. There is a new adventure before you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, following God does not exempt us from challenges. It prepares us for them. We cannot live in the past, but we can build on the past. So when the Hebrews looked at the past, they had successes and they had failures. To me, one of the greatest failures they had is when they came to the edge of the promised land, they sent in the 12 spies. 
to spy out the land. All 12 of them came back with the same report. They said the land is all that God said it would be. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It is everything God said. Ten of them said, however, that they could not go into the promised land. And so the Bible says that rather than go forward, rather than go in, they wept that night. They wept that night. Now they need to forget that, to put it behind them and move forward. You see, when they looked in their, in their past, they saw failures. What God is saying is that you need to put all of this behind you and now then it is time to go forward. The Apostle Paul did that. The Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church. You know the story. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. The Apostle Paul could have spent all of his life bemoaning the fact that he had persecuted the church. He did. But he said he came to a point in his life when he says, I put it all behind me that I might go forward with Jesus Christ. You see, the past is our foundation, but the future is our destiny. And there comes a time when God says to us, you are now prepared. It is time for you to take the next step. It is time for you to go forward to a new adventure. Theodore Roosevelt said the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. How do we go forward? You, you look in your life and you say, yeah, I, have, I have these failures in my life. I, I have these issues in my life. How can I go forward? How can I go on this adventure with God? How can I live my life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? Well, there is a passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus is addressing the church in Ephesus. And he began by commending them. He says, you've done a lot of good things. And he was commending them. And then he said, but I have something against you. Even though you've done all of these good things, he said, I have something against you. And then he gave this instruction. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Now, let me, let me use what he is saying here. Because, you see, we all have that temptation, that tendency, wherever we are, to stay there. No matter where I've been, I've always wanted to freeze that time. I just... I just with my children, I want to freeze them at the age where they are. In my life, I wanted to freeze where I was, and you can't do that. So then, how is it that we can go on in this adventure with the Lord? Well, he says, first of all, remember, remember therefore, okay? Let's remember God's blessing. And when the Hebrews thought about the Lord's provision in their life, His blessings in their life, He had sent the plagues that had released them from bondage. He, he parted the Red Sea and they went across on dry land. When they were hungry, He provided them with manna to eat. When they were thirsty, He provided them with water from a rock. 
we ought to stop and remember and celebrate what God has done. Remember, what has God done in your life in the past? When you look back, remember. The second thing he says, and repent. Yeah, well, we need to remember God's provision for us, but then we need to repent that we have not moved forward in faith. God, you have always provided for me. You have always led me. Now, it is sin for me not to trust you with tomorrow. And so we go back and reclaim what we have forfeited by routine and right. Thomas Edison's laboratory in New Jersey was damaged by fire in 1914. He lost almost a million dollars worth of equipment, which would be a lot of money back then. The next morning he said this, there is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. All my mistakes are burned up and we can now move forward. That's what the Lord is saying here. We are to move forward into tomorrow expecting the best. Let me ask you a question. When you think about tomorrow, do you expect it to be better than today? Do you expect the best in your life? Do you expect the best? You see, when the Hebrew spies came back, they had been sent in to spy out the land. They came back to give a report. Ten of them said, the inhabitants are giants, and we are like grasshoppers. Is that the way you see tomorrow? Do you see tomorrow that way? The challenges you face? All oh, the challenges I face tomorrow, they are gigantic. And I look like a grasshopper in comparison. Job said, for what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. The truth is, with most of us, the unknown in our thinking, the unknown can't be good. And yet the Bible says that I am to go forward with the Lord expecting the best, that tomorrow is going to be a better day. David was willing to fight Goliath because he expected to defeat him. No one else did. David expected to defeat Goliath. Everyone else looked at Goliath and they said, oh, he's too big to kill. David looked at him and said, he's too big to miss. So he was willing to fight Goliath because he expected the best. So what God is saying and what, what, I, what I want to say to you today is that up to this point, the Lord has been preparing you. He is preparing you for tomorrow. So now then you are prepared and we stand on his promise. Look at verse number seven. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country and in the lowland and by the sea course, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. In other words, he is saying, there comes a time in our life that we have to move out of our comfort zone. We break camp to move forward. 
when Julius Caesar landed his troops on the soil of Britain, he then ordered his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover. And as they looked over, they saw the ships that had brought them there in flames. There would be no retreat. They were only going to go forward. Folks, what we do is we take a step of faith and we stand on the promise of God. In your life, God has prepared you for what lies before you. We take a step of faith and we stand on his promise. Here's his promise, verse 8. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. God says, I'm giving you the land. That was the promise. God said, I'm, I'm giving the land that's before you. So now then you need to move forward. You've been here long enough. Now you need to move forward and stand on the promise that he gave. Well, God has given us promises as well. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul wrote, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, he is able to fulfill every promise he makes. God is able. He is able to fulfill every promise of his word. So, the Lord says, now then there comes a time, you've been here long enough, you need a new direction. And he says, and it is going to lead to an exciting destination. We move forward to fulfill his purpose. What is the purpose of God? If you boil it all down, what is the purpose of the church? We do a lot of things, we do a lot of ministries and all of those things, but ladies and gentlemen, the purpose of the church is evangelism. The purpose of the church, the reason we exist is for others. It is to share the gospel. So if you look in the New Testament at what happened, the Lord gave the purpose in Acts chapter 1 verse number 8 to the disciples. He said, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now that's what the Lord said. He said, you are going to be my witnesses across the world. You know what happened to the church? They got comfortable in Jerusalem and they stayed right there. They didn't move. They didn't go to Samaria. They didn't go to Judea. They didn't go anywhere. They stayed right where they were. God says, I want you to take the gospel into all the world. But they became comfortable and stayed there. So then the Lord sent persecution to the church to move the church out. So in Acts chapter 8 verse number 1, and on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. He had said to them, I want you to take the gospel into the world. They became comfortable where, where they were. So the Lord sent persecution for the purpose of scattering them into the world with the gospel. As we move forward in God's will, there is victory. The Hebrews did enter the promised land. 
Now, there, were, uh, there were starts and stops along the way. There, were, there was faith and doubts along the way. But they did get to the promised land. You know what's exciting for me? When we go to um, Israel and we just returned, in fact, we sang it as well with my soul. We, while we were there, we sang that song in the place where Horatio Spafford lived, who wrote that song. But when I go to Israel, one of the things that is exciting for me is there are Jews from all over the world in Israel today. Poland, Russia, all over the world. Because they did receive the promised land. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we become fearful of the future. Sometimes we become hesitant because we are comfortable. But as we go forward with God, there is victory. There's always victory when we go forward with God. So I conclude. Some of you have been where you are too long. You've rejected Jesus. The Holy Spirit has convicted you, but you have rejected him and you have not trusted Christ. You've been there too long. Some of you have been Christians for years, but you're still in the infant stage. You've not grown spiritually. You've been in that condition too long. But some of you are where you are long enough. And today the Lord would say to you, okay, you've been there long enough. Now it's time for you to go forward. You are prepared now. It's time for you to go forward. To be saved, to trust the Lord, to find a ministry where you can serve the Lord. Join the church. Become involved in the church. In verse number 6, the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb saying, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Some of you have been where you are long enough. Not a negative thing. You've just been there long enough. And now it's time for you to go forward. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation considering where we are, what you would have us do, where you would have us go. And Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to you. I pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts today. And there would be some who would say, I've been here long enough. It's time for me to go forward with God. And they would do so. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing hymn of invitation. An opportunity for you to say, yes, Lord, I'm going forward with you. I'm trusting Jesus as Savior. I'm joining the church. But I'm going forward with the Lord. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we stand together. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you come.